Welcome back to Ag Watchers. We wanted to talk about ag tech today, so we thought we'd hit the nail on the head, and we invited Tim Neil on <laughs> from Data Farming. Tim, how's it going, mate? Yeah, very well, mate. Yeah, enjoying the uh, enjoying the Queensland weather at the moment. It's uh, pretty good, but things are drawing off, I guess. Hey, bloody rubbing it in, you know, Ooh. coming from Toowoomba, <laughs> hot, hot weather, no lockdowns. Yeah, it's good at the moment. One, one of the best Turkish restaurants in Australia, in, in Toowoomba. <laughs> yeah, it's a good spot. So, so Tim, Tim, I've known you for a while. Mm. We, we don't often talk about ag tech on here because we're a bit sceptical of ag tech at times. Yep, and um, rightly so. And, uh, but, but, but you're actually a seasoned ag tech. You were, you were doing ag tech before ag tech was popular. Before it was cool, yeah. Before it was, before it was trendy. Mm. So, so, Tim, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yep. A, bit about, a bit about what your past is, what your background is. Yeah, I mean, this, like you say, this has really been an evolution for me. Um, you know, started in the sustainable farming sort of world where, you know, looking at no-till uh, and then in controlled traffic farming, which is, you know, putting all your wheel tracks in one spot so you, you're, you're not causing compaction. Uh, and then, of course, the first problem we had then was how do you drive straight because you've got to keep on the same tracks all the time and that's basically we were doing sort of straight line guidance before GPS even came out and, um, you know, using even vision guidance back then. And then this magical thing called GPS hit the market and all of a sudden we're able to drive straight lines and keep our controlled traffic on, on, on track. So, you know, from that, people said, well, what else can I do? I can start into row sewing, you know, we can, you know, be much more precise with all the activities that we're doing. And we started measuring yield changes within uh, a planter run. So just a very micro yield maps, if you like. And we found like a 500% variation in, in the yield across the planter width. So there's, we did these micro yield maps with a plot harvester. And all of a sudden we thought, well, there's all this underlying variability happening. Let's have a look at how we can try and fix that. And that's when we sort of start on the journey of then yield mapping and Satellite imagery came along. We were, we were the first in Australia to bring in high-resolution satellite imagery back in 2003. Um, some of the first satellites were launched, the sub-metre-resolution satellites were launched, and we thought, oh, this looks pretty good. Uh, and then we found it opened up all these opportunities for in-crop management. So for me, it's been a real journey uh, and, and an evolution as the technology has matured, you know, and to now where the point is that, it's, it's so accessible and, and there's so much data available. You know, we, we're talking to companies every day that are just launching hundreds and hundreds of satellites. So, you know, the, the, the world's moved on really quickly in this whole tech, tech space. And, and I guess, um, yeah, my, the reason we started data farming is it was the frustration of there's all this technology, but only a few percent of farmers are actually using it. So before we came along, GRDC said that you know only four percent of Australian farmers had looked at a far, had looked at their property uh, via satellite, uh, which is just like terrible because you know the, the technology was there. So that's what really started us on this whole data farming journey. But you know it's been a real evolution through all that technology over that last twenty five years essentially. Tim, um, I saw a quote, I think it was just yesterday. It's probably, the quote's probably been around for a while, but I just saw it yesterday, so it's new to me. It was a yeah. Bill Gates quote, and he said something. He was talking about, um, obviously, the, the growth of technology across the board in terms of pace of growth of how, how much more and quicker things are going or how much more advanced things are and comparing it to, um, to the car industry. And he said, the, I think the quote was, he said, if General Motors in America kept up with the same kind of technological pace, and, and, you know, kind of lower costs and stuff, that you'd be driving a car that had cost you $25 to buy and you'd be getting a 1,000 thousand kilometres, um, you know, per tank of fear or something like that. I think that was the quote. Yeah. So when you're talking about the satellite stuff there, you know, obviously you, you were there from the, pre, pre the inception of this stuff. Um, how, 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 how quickly has it gone? How, what's been the growth in kind of just the satellite stuff? You, you know, you said now you can go sub a metre, with the satellite, but how, how far down can you get now in terms of resolution um, for, for the stuff you're looking at nowadays? And, you, you and has, can, it been a, has it been a really quick progression as well? Matt, Matt, what you can do right nowadays, and Tim can tell me if I'm talking shit or not, 
<laughs> if, if just, say now, just say now. Just say now. We know it's going to be shit, listeners. If, if, if you're sitting in your garden, right, and you're reading, you know, the Weekly Times, Tim can see. Tim doesn't even have to pay for a subscription to it. He can read no. the news. <laughs> Surely not. Surely not. He can read the text on it. Uh, if you're in the US military, it's probably right, mate. But uh, we're not quite there yet with uh, commercial grade satellites. But 30 centimeters is is commercially available now. So to give you an idea. You know, if you had a had a chair chair on your back lawn, if you're sitting in the back lawn. Then yeah, absolutely. You're going to see see that uh, figure. Um, we, we we caught an image once uh, in Central Queensland. This is some years back, and we could see the two Utes pulled up and two farmers standing in the paddock having a yarn. So we uh, we challenged them on that and said, "Hey, what are you fellas doing slacking off?" So yeah, the the technology is there to to really increase uh, resolution. Um, we're so, we're talking to a company down to 15 centimeter resolution coming out shortly next year. So that's going to be pretty impressive. You're going to be seeing and, and so a that, lot of detail. So that's lots to record things like NVDI and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and true color imagery, yeah. So so with so, so with sorry sorry Matt, like we're we're at sort of what do you say thirty centimeters, yeah, and and yeah. And, and potentially getting lower again, yeah. Yep. And and you know what 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 was the maximum you could? What was the best you get? Like say five years and ten years ago. Well. Um, Five years, I mean, we, we, we could get the 80 centimetre sort of data back in 2003, like I said, but it's very, very hard and very, very costly. Um, but five years ago, we only just got access to the Sentinel satellite data, which is what we provide on our platform for free. Um, it's 10 metre resolution. You know, that didn't even exist. So before that, we had one satellite image every 16 days at 30 metre resolution. Okay. But get that in your head. One, one, one image every 16 days at 30 metres. So, you know, the space race is on. Uh, last year alone, there was a 25% increase in the number of satellites in space. 25% in one year. And it'll be the same again this year uh, or then more. What does that, so that kind of moved down in resolution. I mean, that's, when you're talking 30 metres, you know, every half a month down to what, pretty much 30 centimetres now. Every, nearly alive. every day. Yeah. yeah, or every day or whatever. What has that done to... Yeah, what, 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 what do you do with it? What can you do with it as a farmer? Yeah, what does that mean in terms of... Does that mean that you can now become much more specific at a much more granular level? So it, it increases your yield by X or how does it translate well, to benefits? Yeah, you know, like most farms, you're not managing managing down to a sub-metre pixel level, right? But it certainly helps you understand what's actually driving your differences in your variability in your paddock. So it gives you more confidence. So when we were doing work in the wine industry, and we do a lot of, we image nearly uh, a thousand yeah. paddocks in the wine industry uh, last year. I mean, they, they really want it for um, row by row measurements. So if you're talking about, you know, more intense cropping, you really need that resolution. But a Western Australian grain farm doesn't need that sort of resolution. Um, you know, the 10 metres is good enough. So it's, it's horses for courses. You've got to fit yeah, the yeah. technology to the purpose. And and so and so, what in terms of in terms of if you if you were to see, like I, that was my next question you actually answered it uh, was was a case of or to, you did to an extent what is the Goldilocks sort of zone between sort of price and sort of value of use to, yeah. to like to like a cropping farmer or or a yeah. pasture grower so you, you reckon it's like ten meters or something or yeah or probably less yeah we we're, we're looking at that sort of mid range now. Sort of a couple of meters is probably really good because it, it starts to pick up things like problems with your planter. Um, at ten meters, you know, it's about the width of a harvester or whatever. It's not not not. If you want to get down to that uh, smaller level, then you probably need that better res. But for the for the most part, the free stuff's good enough for what most people need uh, in in broadacre agriculture. So uh, that's a good thing because it's readily available and it's um, it, you know it's really useful. People can get it off the bat. So. Um, yeah, I think that, 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 you know, if I go back to what I started with the control traffic thing, you know, there's still a lot of variability happening at a sub underneath, you know, sub uh, planter level. But, you know, there is also those big, bigger soil factors that, that go uh, across the, you know, big areas. And, and, it, and you, you might not be aware, but, you know, I've looked at literally tens of thousands of yield maps over my time. And it's almost not one paddock. Uh, that's got less than 300% variation in yield in, in every paddock. That's yeah. 300% in every single field across all of our cropping lands. So we've got this huge underlying variability that we're not fixing up. 
And we put all this effort into new new varieties, right, which lead to 1% yield improvements. And everyone claps their hands and thinks it's the greatest thing. And I say, hold on a minute, we've got 300% variability in each paddock. Why aren't we putting more energy into fixing that? Because you're still paying, you know, two grand an acre for the country, um, whether it's good or bad, you're paying the money. So how do you, you know, and probably, uh, you know, probably 20% of your paddocks are unprofitable. So, you know, and the co- and some of your points about increasing the, you know, fertiliser costs at the moment, you've got to make every acre pay. And so you can go and buy more acres. It's a good investment. But why not we put more energy into trying getting rid of this variability and make every acre pay uh, where it's possible? So, so it's like, I'm, I'm just looking, there's a, there's a, there's a picture there of uh, like an NVDI map on, on your website. Yeah, I'm just looking at the yep. new sort of 1.5 and 1.5 and it's got red stuff in the one corner and green stuff in one corner. Yep. So, so what would you do as a farmer? You would take that map and you say, would you take it to your agronomist or you'd, you'd look at your machine and you say, look, there's something wrong here. What's what's the go? It could be like, could be different soil types. Or, or Yeah, that's and what you've hit on is the absolute number one thing is it's got to be ground truth. Yeah. Uh, we did some images right back at the start thinking we're pretty smart and uh, got these really high biomass, you know, beautiful green, blue in our maps. Went out in the paddock and it was all ryegrass. So, you know, uh, let's not fertilise ryegrass. Uh, you know, so it's absolutely ground truthing. And I see so many of these these new ag tech startups coming through the ranks and so promising all this stuff. We're going we're gonna to cut your fertiliser rate by 30%. We're going to increase your yield by 25%, um, you know, and... It, it trust is all automatic, you know. It's just rubbish. You, you've got to, you've got to go out in the fields. It's to help people do a better job quicker, and it should save you time, not increase your time. Well, That's so, a simple thing. So it's kind of almost like, it, it, like if, if I'm looking at this one individual field, yeah, yeah, a farmer might already be aware of a lot of this. Absolutely. When they're yeah. driving through it, but this gives them a map that they can actually pinpoint more and say, well, it's a bit like a, it's a bit like a prescription, isn't it? Really. Yeah. You know, you know, like. You know, it's been like when I when I brought when I brought my arm a couple of years ago. You know, the the uh, the, the X-ray guy, radiographer, gives me the X-ray. Then I take it to a surgeon who tells me you're getting a couple of screws in here. Yes. So, so that's basically what you got. You're basically giving a, yeah, you, an, an X-ray got- <laughs> an X-ray of the land that you can then take and say, you know, what's what's the go here, mate? Well, you, you know, you've got a broken arm, but you don't know how to fix it. Um, so, and that means, well, what's the extent of the problem too? What's it costing me? You know, is it 10 hectares, 20 hectares or 30 hectares? Like, um, you know, how much is that going to cost to fix? Uh, how much am I losing in yield? Uh, is it worth more while doing? Or do I just write off those areas? So they could be a, like if you go to central Queensland, for example, there's shallow soils in a lot of areas. So you're not going to go and try and fix that. You can't. So you just wind back all your rates in those areas. But if it's fixable, let's say it's a sodium problem, well, we'll go and put some gypsum on it and try and fix it up so that we can get productivity out of that and we start making some money out of it. So, yeah, so, so, so it's not it's not the solution. It's they've identified the problem so that you can then take it to someone else to, yep. to fix it. So a quick question, though. Yeah? You, you made a good point there. And it's and the point I always think about is, is efficiency and, and increasing, getting as much as possible out of what you've got. Yep. Like, and, and, and we're the same. Matt and I are the same. Like we, We've got two people in our team. Uh, that's us in our professional life. And yeah. so we, we've got to be efficient. So all of our work is efficient as possible. But I wonder, like in Australia, yeah, like you, you've done 12 million hectares or something like that. Yep. Is it overseas as well? Or because no, 85% in Australia. But, but have you ever had a little peek, you know, have a look at some of the Dutch crops or the UK crops to see oh, how, how, how efficient are they? Yeah, well, we've got a lot of users in uh, in the UK and in uh, Western Europe. So, yeah, they're using it for similar sort of factors. I guess nutritional management, um, you know, just they have obviously a lot of potential waterlogging issues as well. So, yeah, it's, I mean, probably facing similar sort of problems, except they, their way of farming, as you know, is quite different to ours. So did, did, they have did, different solutions. But do they have the same variability, like 300% variability like in a paddock? Yep, pretty much. Pretty yep. much. So it's pretty. So we're really talking. Even, even, that's even with them being potentially in parts of Europe or you know in a smaller plot size as well than what you get here in Australia. Yeah. But there's still, but there's even though they, you know, have possibly the ability to be more focused in in, in a more you know smaller smaller dimensions. To, to, to Matt, 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 they're too busy 
driving the Range Rovers, <laughs> collect, co- collecting collecting the cap payment, and, yeah. and, uh, and looking after the five sheep that they have, and yeah. and, 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 and going to the local coffee shop in, in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that, that, that's us just lost all of our UK subscribers. That's including, it. that's including, gone. Even including, even Auntie Julie, even Auntie Julie. <laughs> but you hit on a good point, though. The, the point is, is that what's happened in Australia is that we. You know, once upon a time, everyone had a 640-acre settlement block. Nowadays, people have joined together probably, what, three, four, what used to be farms and then is now one paddock. You know, we've got clients with 1,200-hectare canola crops, you know, 1,200 hectares and one paddock of canola. So, you know, what's happened is that there, our attention to detail has disappeared because we've, you know, what that one farmer on 640 acres knew every single square metre of that ground and knew every paddock and every every part of that paddock. Nowadays, they got no idea. Like, it's just so big and so expansive that they have trouble just even keeping up logistics management. Yeah. Like, look at Western Australia right now. I mean, it, they're massive farms and they're, they're struggling to keep up with what's actually happening. So I think that's, um, you know, that's a really important um a factor that where technology is needed now to help understand those variability that we used to know because we've intensively managed our land. Like we've lost 50% of our farmers in the last 10 years. So, you know, it, it, the farm, that means farm size has doubled essentially across the country. See, see, see one sorry. of the, so, sorry, I was just going to say something like one of, one of the things that Matt always goes on about is and he's a happy, yeah. He's, he's, he looks he's, like it too. Yeah, you, know, you can tell by my long hair and, and uh, Gandalf beard. Andrew's the one with the bloody Gandalf beard. I've got a bit of a happy top on as well. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you, you, you're quite interested in all that green stuff, you know, climate change and, and all that stuff. Are you talking to me or talking to Tim? Or both of us? I'm, I'm, talk, I'm oh, talking nice. to you, you Tim, uh, uh, you, Matt. Uh, but, but, you know, I saw Matt arguing with somebody the other day about, you know, <laughs> emissions from from farming about how we create so much emissions and whatnot uh which which agriculture does create emissions mm. but so does everything but yeah. if you if you were to sort of increase your variability like reduce the variability in your crop so if you didn't have that 300 percent variability everything was that it's a maximum yep. cost effective obviously take yep. account cost then you would actually reduce your emissions more and or you'd yeah. actually sequester more as well yeah, and we're, absolutely. And if you look at nitrogen, is one of the biggest greenhouse gas. You know, nitrous oxide is one of the biggest things. Um, and we're being very inefficient with our in-crop nitrogen. And I think we've seen a massive increase this year because of the fertilizer price. But also, if you apply nitrogen based on crop demand, the your nitrogen use efficiency increases, and therefore your losses decrease. Yeah. So it, it makes complete sense in a whole range of factors that it's a triple win, right? You increase your productivity, you reduce your costs, or you, you're more effective with your costs, you're getting better bang for your buck, and you're having an environmental benefit at the same time. So I think any of these technologies will have that triple triple effect. And are you, are you finding with, with fertilizer increasing in price that there's more and more people asking about this type of stuff? Because some, somebody asked us this the other day, you know, is fertilizer price going to lead to more adoption of variable rate application yeah. all that kind of stuff which yeah i don't know anything about because i'm i'm not an agronomist do you yeah. think that that do you think that will yeah, yeah absolutely i mean if you look at um the the sales of, of of weed seekers back in the day the weed seekers are those automatic spray booms that detect the weed and spray it spot spray you know they sold more in three months than they did in the preceding three years but in in australia Based on when the games were in, in, in you know, when they shut down all the chemical oh, yeah, plants. Yeah, yeah. So the price of Roundup went through the roof and adoption of that technology went berk, you know, berserk. So we're going to see the same thing here now with, with you know, fertilizer prices pushing well up. They're, they're going to, people are going to say, well, I've got X amount of budget. Where do, where do I get my biggest bang for my buck of, of applying N or P or whatever it might be? Um, Tim, we've got a listener that Andrew and I, have, we're going to now start referring to as Chris Hoiberg. Um, and uh, he hates when we go on tangents, but I'm about to go on a massively... Um, Chris, 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 is, Chris is just... 
like he he, he watch, listens to the show, but that's his biggest criticism is when we go on tangents. Yeah, or he, or he, or he, Chris Chris he, Holberg's got his name though. We, we we're using that as a as a synonym so no one knows who he is. Yeah, we don't we don't we don't want people to know <laughs> who we're talking about. But but Chris Chris doesn't like it when we a when we go on tangents, or also when we go on tangents about going on tangents. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but here it is. So this is because obviously there's been a lot of discussion. In Andrew's field around cropping, but all the time when you're talking about this, I've been thinking about livestock applications. Um, yes. and, and now when we're getting down to that small scale, you know, when you're going from 30 metres down to you know, less than a metre, I'm just thinking a couple of applications, and it's probably not in regards to the current stuff you're doing, so you might or might not be able to answer me this, but I'm thinking about something like a, a, an ultra, a, ultra, you know, when they can see the heat sensing type ability. Do satellites have that? That's the first question. Yep. But then also at the level of resolution now, I'm just wondering if if it could be used to to find a mob of cattle that are out in, in a big pastoral station that, you know, rather than fly around a helicopter for an hours, or even more importantly, maybe, and this is where the cropping side comes in, could it be used in that infrared type space if it is available to pinpoint where there's a bloody feral pigs or something and go in and target them, you know, in that way and, and, and kind of clean them out. Is there, are there applications outside of cropping in livestock or in pest management as well? And I'm talking, when I'm talking pest management, I'm talking big yep. feral pests like deers or pigs yep. or whatever. Is that, am I, am I, is, am I kind of thinking of things that are 10 years too, too far into the future? Or is um, this a- Matt, Matt, you're always forward thinking. You're always forward thinking. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we, we often get a lot of inquiry in that kind of space. Um, even like your background actually has also triggered me to think about we've actually had a number of um, institutions, I'll call them that, that want to count cattle. So if someone's lending money against a, a herd, are they actually in the field or not? Um, is someone got them on another property somewhere else? So that resolution, we can get nearly to the point of counting cattle in, in, a, in a mob. Um when it comes to thermal, there's a bit of, I'm going to go real sciencey here on you, but um, the, pro- the problem with thermal is just getting enough energy in the sensor. So generally thermal imagery is quite coarse pixels. So I'm talking 20 metres plus. Okay. So at the moment, uh, any sort of thermal imaging would need to be done closer to the ground. So what oh, we okay. call pro- yep. proximal sensing, uh, like from a helicopter or aeroplane. Uh, there's been some really good imaging suppliers in Australia um, that have like, come from overseas, but um, that will do high-resolution thermal imaging. The stuff we're using from satellites at 20 metres, and we're actually working uh, with some other companies at the moment to try and calibrate that for irrigation management. So, yeah, um, th- there's great opportunities for, for thermal. And I we've been asked about the pest management before too. So, yeah, in time, I think it'll get better, but it's just about an energy issue. There's just not enough energy coming from the ground. But... One little interesting project we did do with some uh, people down in the, the down um, Riverina with the with regards to the um, uh, what what do you call it um, fruit fly Queensland fruit fly in in uh, in in orchards down there we we were able to take the fruit fly trap uh, information so the, the the number of insects caught in their traps we correlated that talking about pests so I jump straight to pests so. We correlated that with thermal imaging from satellite and guess what? There's a a great correlation because like anything, insects like to have, um, they like their own environment to be just nice and, you know, in the perfect temperature range, just like humans are. And we were able to identify which parts of the landscape are likely to be hotspots for biosecurity inspectors to go and check those areas to make sure they've got traps located in there if they wanted to pick up any pests. So mm. I think this is a totally untapped market and that opportunity in terms of irrigation management and pests and diseases because, as you know, all things are spatial and, mm. and all parts of the environment are slightly different. And, you know, you just got to drive through a valley or ride on a motorbike through a valley and feel how cold it is when you come out the other side. So you know, things like pests are going to be very sensitive to those kinds of things, and, and we're already finding finding that. So there is some interesting work to be done. Um, there's also some other cool data we've been playing with called radar imaging, and it penetrates through cloud. So it's, it's what we call an active sensor. It puts out a, um, it puts out its own energy, and it it um, we're able to capture data through clouds, and now even uh, penetrating down into the soil profile to get soil water. 
So there's just enormous amount of new sort of, like whilst it's not new stuff, right? Like everyone's known about radar technology forever, but the new applications coming with new technology opens up great new opportunities for, for agriculture to learn more about how things like pests and diseases interact with the landscape. And, so, and it's, it's more and more accessible, more and more accessible than it's ever been. Absolutely. But I've Absolutely. got, a, I've got another invention. Yeah. We'll do a copyright here. As, as you guys are, well, you guys if, if anyone's listening to this and they like it, don't steal it until we've got the copyright. Please. Yeah, I, please, please. Yeah. Uh, once I've just once I go through this description, nobody's going to steal it anyway. <laughs> but 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 you guys you guys are both in your in your forties. Uh, are you are you are you being kind to me again? I'm, be, I'm being kind. I'm being kind to Matt, you know, because I've been told yeah. off for bullying. You will have seen the the the, the sort of 1980s classic movie, The Running Man. Yes, Arnold with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. Yeah. And then you remember they had those collars on the neck, yeah. Yeah. They had collars on necks that was if they got out went outside a certain area they blew up yeah. <laughs> I don't know where this is going, but anyway. But it's, it's a modification of that. Like I'm looking at that NVDI map yeah, and it's very centi- centimeter resolution yeah? yeah. Could could you in future get you know collars for cattle yeah? Well, that oh, already so exists. Like a, yeah, well, it's a, yeah, virtual fencing. It already exists. Yeah, it? you've lost. You mate, it's too late. Too late. Sick. So, so yeah, you, so you can a company get... called Ard- Ardressons have built a. Well, they've just been bought out by, I think, uh, one of the fencing companies just bought them yeah. out. Um, it's it's a it's an audible than a zapping collar, uh, light zap, and it, it's all virtual fencing. And, uh, uh, and so it could automatically use NVDI and get it to automatically yeah. go to. So you parts. can push the cattle to go and get uh, better well, utilization. Well, Andrew was Andrew was saying to keep his five year old daughter under under <laughs> within the house. Or, yeah. That's me just. That's me just lost. I, I thought I was going to become a billionaire there. You've just you actually just taken a billion dollars out of my pocket there that I never had. So that's <laughs> yeah, well, available. Well, that's that's pretty cool then. At least. Well, there's actually a lot of tracking uh, ear tags <clears> now as, available as well for just tracking cattle movement. Um, there's a couple that have come onto the market recently, like Series Tag and uh, Movement. Have developed one as well, and it's just a solar-powered tracking device for livestock. So you can see how they interact with the imagery. So you can see what their behavioural patterns are, and also which parts of the pasture they're utilising at different times of the day. It's really interesting to watch their movement. But, but, but you could sort of send your cattle to like the bit that's greener yep. to let to let the other part of the paddock rest. Let like. The, Yep, for utilisation. So you get and like you, you might want to fence off your riverine areas, so protecting your streams or stream banks or whatever. Just keep them out of those sort of areas as well. Oh well, that's ruined my day. Oh well, yep. Yeah. Next I new idea. Right, I'll have to, I'll have to go back. He only, to has, he, only, he only has one idea every three or four months. So <laughs> no, I have an idea every day. It's just you know. Wow, one good. Well, I should have clarified just, one good idea. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, so. So in terms of, but be AgTech, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about AgTech and it and its washing machine that it is in the last five years, maybe. I reckon that's it. Oh, there's something controversial. Tim Neal. Oh, Tim Neal says that AgTech is about money laundering. Yeah, <laughs> money laundering <laughs> in the washing machine. Exactly. So, so AgTech, AgTech, like we we we've sort it's of gone stupid. I've been yeah. in this industry for you know a good good ten years in Australia and, and a a little bit before that in, in the UK, but AgTech seems to be so, like the last five years, there's been so many things come out and like drones. That's what I was going to ask you as well. Drones. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started yet. Where, where have drones gone? Other well, they than- never came in the first place, mate. They were never going to come. Just, it was never going to happen. It's, you know, like we, I, I told, I must have told 100 drone companies, it's not going to work the way you want to, way you think it's going to work. I, I, actually, I actually remember a time where, I met you actually for probably for the first time. I think it was in Armadale. Would have been. Would have been yes. Armadale. And and there was a demonstration of drones there. Mm. And and I think we had said, "Yep, this I is put my a, foot in it that day." This is an absolute <laughs> waste of money. Nobody's ever going to buy a drone other than other than for playthings. And then what for, happened? Well, no one happened. bought the drones. No one bought the drones. <laughs> <laughs> no, but see, they have a they have a place, right? And. and and I think there's some new technology coming. Once the legislation gets fixed, there's great opportunities for drones, but not in the format that people thought that were gonna they were gonna do it. Like they were never ever gonna compete with satellites. 
um, it, it complements satellites, and I think that's the future. Uh, once once this legislative requirements are sorted out, there's great opportunities there. But you know, for trial sites, for intensive horticulture, legislation referring to the ability to fly them out of out of sight or something. Out of sight. That's the biggest problem. Yeah. yeah. And, and and because you can't afford to have an operator turn up to your farm once a week, no one's going to pay for that. It's just not going to yeah. happen. And if you want to be there for, say, you're trying to sell into horticulture, you have to be there more than once a week to be doing checking because things change so quickly. So, yeah, the model was never going to be right. I told 100 drone companies, don't bother with that. There's opportunities in trials, you know, small plot trials and horticulture, but they, none of them really listened. But anyway. Pretty, pretty, pretty sexy at the time, though. Pretty, pretty Absolutely. So, so AgTech, you, you, you are – let's take a positive approach to it, yeah? Yeah. You, I've always said for a long time that ag tech has to be not creating problems but solving problems. Yeah. But at the same time, not solving problems that farmers don't actually think are a problem. Yeah. Uh, you, you, this is the data farming isn't your first rodeo. You've had other, let's call them ag tech companies in the past. Yes. That you've yep. worked with. So you're a, you know, an old stalwart of the the ag tech game. Yeah, we had <clears> startups <throat> before startups were a thing. Yep. Uh, but what's your advice to these startups? You know, what would be the, 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 the sort of the one paragraph piece of advice you'd give to? Well, I think you actually basically said it. You know, it's about going and understanding uh, the industry that you're working in for a start and, and what the problems are and how, what are the pain points that you're trying to help people solve. Because if you solve someone's problem, then there's, there's probably more people with the same problem. So, you know, but it's about immersing yourself in that industry. I, I see so many companies starting out of, out of Silicon Valley or, or Sydney that, you know, have never been to a farm and they've got some great new invention. Uh, I, I take my hat off to those people. I mean, I'm not trying to have a crack at that, but if, if I was to go and try and do a startup in the construction industry, I would not sit in my office in Toowoomba and come up with a theory about how I should work in the construction industry. I would be on a job site for six months trying to understand what their problems were and then I'll come up with a solution. So I, I, that's what frustrates me the most, I guess, is that, um, you know, the, these bright sparks, like there was one the other day, I won't mention the company out of the US got $10 million for a 60-year-old technology, you know. And I think, guys, if you just would have done some research and, and if the VCs would have done some research, you would have realised that what you're doing is, is, is not new. So, but because they're young and enthusiastic <coughs> and there's heaps of money around, they've got 10 million bucks. So that sort of frustrates the people in the industry that I talk to a lot, uh, you know, the old stalwarts that are, got good solid businesses, they see all this stuff going on, this parallel universe going on, and it gets pretty frustrating at times. Well, it, it, seems, it seems to be a lot of startups are not necessarily there to, to for, for the, they're not necessarily there for the longevity. No. It's there to get the VC money and then get out and yeah. then boom. Yeah, like we, 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 big like we, we have it all. Like I'll be honest, like Matt and I, because we we sort of cover a big gamut of that sort of industry. We get a lot of ag tech companies, especially the very early stage ones coming to us, you know, you know, telling us what they're going to be able to provide us with and what information. And it's generally around sort of, you know, being able to tell us what the yields are and tell us exactly down to, you know, one metric tons, what the Aussie top crop will be or, or whatnot. But I guess, you know, and, and they sort of, they, sometimes they, they ask us for advice, you know, we, here's a pitch for our product, you know, this is what, what it does, blah, blah, blah. And what surprised me most is how many of them are so similar. Yeah. And, 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 and how many of them you say, guys, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, yep. eight, nine other companies doing this. Yeah. You know, and they say, oh, we didn't, we've never heard of them before. How are you doing? <laughs> you know, and, and you sort of, you feel a little bit bad sort of crushing the spirit of some 19-year-old <laughs> graduate, but you sort of feel, but I'd, to be fair, I'd rather tell them that early before they sort of put their parents' mortgage on it. Yeah, and I've seen satellite companies do the same thing. I'd, I'd get a call probably once a fortnight at the moment from a new satellite company that's launching a new satellite. And and I first thing I ask them is, you know, what are you, what are you doing? How are you going to? What sort of products do you think you're going to get out of this? And and I, and by the end of the conversation, they've changed what sensors they're putting on the satellite, what area of interest they want to cover. You know, they've completely changed their whole business model because they hadn't thought through all those key things about how the user might actually bloody use this. They're thinking about how do I launch this thing? What sensors do I put on it? How cool is this going to be? You know, um, and how we're going to save global 
deforestation, you know. So I, I, I'm, I'm exactly the same, mate. I, I think um, we'd rather crush them early and get it on track than go and waste a lot of time and money in and someone's mortgage, like you say. So, but, but 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 saying that, if anyone's listening to this podcast and wants to invest in the first blockchain-powered podcast, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're happy to take one point five million for 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 ten percent for ten percent. What's about you get you get twenty percent of 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 the Agwatchers podcast uh, for that. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, the, I'm, I'm, just, are, I'm just waiting for the call. I'm waiting for to hear the phone ringing. I mean, the, the good thing is, mate, there is um, a lot of interest in ag tech, and it, it's seemingly the 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 investment's not slowing down at all. In fact, it's accelerating. But I only think that's a good thing, right? Let's let's hope that t- not too many companies burn too many people, and and, and everyone says, "Oh, I've tried all that before. I don't, I'm not interested," because that's that's the worst thing that can happen. Someone spending someone else's money, that's so what? Um, it's more that the companies that follow along behind, they don't get, um, they don't get yeah. caught out. Um, but, um, you know, it's really good to have this amount of investment. I'm not sure if you're aware, but investment in ag tech in Australia is 120th of what it is in the US per capita, 120th. So we've got a bloody long way to go to catch up to, to, to the US and to um, um, like, um, what's the other one? Um, in the Middle East, the... Um, Israel. Israel. Yeah, yeah. They're about the same. So about, you know, the, the investment per capita of population is 20 times what it is in Australia. So we've got to, we need a lot more investment because the worst thing too that we can do is put crappy products in front of farmers that doesn't work or, you know, doesn't deliver on what they say and they get burned as well. It's, you need it's, the investment to actually that, build the thing. Is that because there's not enough... Exactly. Things? Is that because there's not enough investment money or there's not enough things to invest in? Is there, well, is there not, no, no, it needs more not, money. There's not enough farmers in Australia to pay for it if it was at the true cost. So we need that investment to get started, if you know what it, I mean. But is there enough supply of different things to invest in? Well, like, I think there – well, it depends on what you say, things, because is there enough novel things or is there enough regurgitated things like I just said before? Um, novel things, I reckon they're a lot few and farther between, but – I mean, when it comes to our business, what our novel thing was was actually getting adoption, right? Not yeah. we've got the latest and greatest algorithm. We certainly haven't, and we don't want that. What we want is people to use, like it's, like I say, you're better off getting people to use the current mousetrap than building a, a new one. Mm. So let's get people using the current mousetrap first before we build the fancier mousetrap. But seemingly everyone thinks that if I build a fancier mousetrap, everyone will adopt that technology, and that is not the case. It's directly opposite to that. You build it simply and deliver simple things. That's what drives adoption. And that's how we've got more than 30% adoption now of the grain industry using it. Um, and, dem- and demonstrating that with that analogy and also demonstrating how you're getting rid of the mice. <laughs> that's right. right. So it works, yep. it works multiple ways. So, so one, one, of the, one of the, talk about the ag tech environment, or actually, sorry, that's the wrong word to use. We don't use the ag tech environment. Talking about the ag tech ecosystem, ecosystem, because <laughs> that, that's that's the word to use. Ecosystem. Sorry, we've been using it all wrong. It just shows how amateur we are. Oh, absolutely. We'll we'll, let, we'll, we'll, we'll take a hundred thousand off. You know, it's one point four, one point four, four. Or, or actually, we'll start using ecosystem now. It's worth two point five for 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 ten percent. No, you need artificial intelligence in there somewhere. We've got zero intelligence in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the intel- the only way we get intelligence is by having guests on this podcast, Tim. <laughs> but 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 one what one of the in in agriculture, like prior to COVID, yeah, uh, there was two industries that I thought were like the biggest non-production industries: conferences. Yes. Yeah. And and that was a, that was a growing industry. I could I could have literally gone to a conference every single day. Every day, exactly. Throughout the year, uh, and, and we went. I remember visiting you at the coffee line at yes. the Ag, ev- um, Evoke Ag. Evoke Ag, yeah. And yep. Th- let's not talk about that conference. Uh, uh, <laughs> but but the other the other growing one of the other growing industries, and, and a friend of mine's he always laughs about it, is the growing growth industry of the incubator stroke accelerator yeah there must be a dozen of them in australia is it not yeah there is yep yep for ag techs 
some other ones. There's a yeah. whole number of them. There's heaps of them. Obviously, that's a, that's a different way of getting investment and different way of starting off. I actually worked for an accelerator when I was 18 yeah, uh, right. as, an, as an intern in Scotland. Yeah, right. A long, long time ago. Because yeah, mm. Scotland, basically, Scotland invents a lot of things. You know, from from the from 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 roads to the telephone to the telephone. Economics, they integrated economics. Economics, you know. So, so they still amazing, have amazing. Still, still have still have a lot of entrepreneurship over there. But but anyway, like in terms of, I, I think they, they have a place. But I'm, how how many do you think? Have you seen many companies go through an accelerator and actually be a success? You know. Mm, that's a good question. Um, and who, who, does it, who, who does it favour? The accelerator that gets an equity stake or the, the actual idea? Yeah, I, I, fear, I fear I know where you're going with this because I have, I have the same feeling is, is, you know, is it, is it I won't say legitimate, you know, but is, is, it, um, is it really helping is what you're trying, you know, is there other factors at play? All the, all the groups that I know that are really successful have obviously had a whole range of other influencing factors that have made them successful. But um, again, if we go back to our point about young guys with a broad idea, that's probably the best place for them to land to sort out what is the customer problem, how are you doing your financing? Because you know, a PhD, uh, no disrespect, giving a business plan is just a PhD with a business plan. It's not it's not a business, <coughs> right? So there's a lot to business besides just having a business plan. And someone that's come through academia is not going to have any idea about how to run a business. No disrespect to academia. But that's what we see a lot of. Um, and, and running a business is a completely bloody different thing, cash flow and all the rest of it. So I think getting people through those accelerators to teach them basic skills like that is a good thing. Um, how many have actually been solely uh, responsible for their, their ultimate success I don't know. I read a lot of articles, and a lot of people are self-made success sort of thing. So, I think it, there's a really, definitely a place for it, but it's not the overall success story, is it? It's one part of the success of, of business in this space. I, I also know some of the the terms. It's bootstrapping. Is that right? Yes, that's it. Yeah. Mate. But, and and sweat equity. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, uh, it's three point five. Three point uh, five yeah. for ten percent. <laughs> You're going up in value, mate. All the right terms. Yeah, there's been this whole, I've had to learn all these things and all the investment. Like, it's the first time we've got investment um, in this business. Before, we've, we we had this thing called businesses, mate, and we just got a client and we got paid and then we made money and we invested. Nowadays, you have to have, you have an idea and you get a million bucks. It's a completely different, you know, and you call it a startup. And that's another thing. You know, we were just businesses in the past and they were called startups. But, um, you know, there's a bit of jokes around that. But, I mean, some of the things like software that we built, we, you know, we built our first MVP for 30 grand. So to get us started, to get see what the market thinks of it. But after that, it's been quite expensive. So we do need investment to build. Like I say, it's no good building cars if you don't have a road to drive them on. So we've got to get the investment to build the roads so that we can build the cars. So it's, I, I you know, it. We've come in at the right time with, with, with our business now, but I, I think some of this is it needs investment to get started to build quality products that we put in front of people because the worst thing that people want is some junky thing that the wire's hanging out and, you know, breaks down after a week. Like that's those days have got to be gone. We've got to get good solid technology out of farms so they don't get pissed off with it and, and, and it actually delivers value to them. But that, um, Tim, that, that kind of lamenting of, of the lack of investment is not purely something in the ag tech space that's been an ongoing issue within Australia for decades, right? I'm, I'm becoming, and I, did, I wasn't an expert in my financial days when I was in currency trading, you know, that was fairly specific, but, but there was a lot of people within the, the merchant banking arm and the mergers and acquisitions and all that that would be involved in these kind of real, whether they're real investments in, you know, kind of assets, uh, you know, they, they were kind of, a lot of the money that was coming was coming from overseas, you know, just because, you know, is it a, is it a factor that we don't have A, the population, and then B, the, you know, our superannuation funds here are a reasonable enough size based off our population, but they're yeah. nowhere near the superannuation funds that you see. And, and part of the reason why we have a, you know, a mob like, say, PSP, who are now the biggest, you know, which is that Canadian pension fund, they're yes. the, biggest, they're the biggest investor in real asset agriculture in Australia now, right? Um, you know, is it that there's just not enough money and not enough, yeah, you know, because of, you know what I mean? It, it, so they've got to, 
you know, we've got to kind of broaden our horizons to, to other parts of the world, but, you know, to be able to encourage this, this flow of money in to be able to, you know, do all these you know, great things that we could do. Oh, well, there's been a, quite a few people suggest that, you know, the Australian pension funds should actually be investing in Australian startup businesses as well, but they're very conservative. And like you say, you don't see any of them investing in, in farmland, for example, not like the Canadians do. Uh, it's a big untapped value of our country that we're not utilising to return on, you get return on investment. And, and I couldn't agree more. Like we've got 40,000 farmers in Australia. Like in, in, in Southeast Asia alone, there's 85 million. I mean, the numbers are just extraordinary. And, and so all these software companies that have tried to build software in the past in Australia, the reason why it's been clunky is because they just haven't had the money to really invest to make it really good. It's bloody challenging. And I take my hat off to the people that have had a go, like AgWorld, like Backpaddock. You know, Backpaddock's been in 25 years and really worked hard to get good products into the market, but done on a, on a, you know, on a very limited base. And then look at AgWorld, it's been a great success story now. Um, but it, it, they really needed to go to internationally to get that, that volume, to get that uh, investment, to, to get the products built properly. And I think that's, that's I agree, we, this, this has been the problem. It, it's a bit like saying, you know, we're going to build a mobile phone for 40,000 people. Well, it's going to be a pretty crap mobile phone. Like Huawei or bloody, uh, you know, Samsung are going to be a pretty, pretty crap phone for, for 40,000 people. But you get a bloody good phone for 40 million people. So if we get the volume up, I think that would that would help solve those problems. And I think the current business models around that are pre- pretty much broken. So we need to rethink because people just don't want to keep paying more for software, and, and they don't they don't like this per month thing because everyone's per month. So they, they're sort of getting a bit frustrated with that model. So we need new models in Australia, and that's what we've gone to a per hectare model. Some people don't like that too, but I mean. To me, it's more of a sustainable model that makes better sense from a software company so we can grow because we don't want to be constrained. We want to put good products in. You know I mean? you, you're a little bit like our, our day job in a way. You offer free access to a certain amount. It gives you some value. Same yes. as us. Like we, 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 we are on our day job, which is, which is different. We, we, we changed our business model from our previous employers yes. to, to, to basically have it completely. Everyone can access what they want. Yes. free of charge, but yep. if people want something specific for them, they come to us. Well, that's oh, right. We give it to them because we're nice guys. Isn't it? That's what it is. We can charge for it, but we just, you know, when we when the 3.5 million comes in for each of us for the, for the startup <laughs> money, we, you know, we don't need the money for what we well, do. When, when we get a, 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 a Series A. Oh, here we go. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I've just read it somewhere. <laughs> so, so, so when we get when we get a series A angel investor, yeah, uh, on on Dragon's Den, mm-hmm. uh, we'll uh, we'll be we'll be we'll be sitting drinking pina coladas in, in Ballarat, <laughs> or, or or warm cups of coffee. <clears throat> but the I actually have no idea what I was going to say before that. Uh, I've lost my train of thought completely. Chris Hoiberg will be bloody angry. <laughs> Chris 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 Hoiberg's going to be mental. <laughs> uh, I, haven't, I haven't spoken about Scotland, so that. He's probably happy with that anyway, because normally, <laughs> normally when I talk about Scotland, that's when he gets really annoyed. Yeah, uh, yeah I've lost my train of thought completely. Matt, go we on. Go. We're talking about we're, t- well, we're talking about the lack of investment money, right? Yeah. And, uh, and was it relating to that? You said that's that kind of the no, fact that. No, you know, no, nah, nah, completely, completely lost my track of mind completely. I had something really important to say as well, uh, but I've lost it completely. But, but but here's one thing, yeah. <clears throat> one of one of the we we are actually I was actually thinking back as well. We have had a lot of ag techs on this podcast, yeah. Yeah. Which are companies that 20 years ago wouldn't be called ag techs. They would have just been called, again, like you say, businesses. Ag businesses. Yeah. Uh, we had we had Robin Smith, who's you know uh, again numbnuts, numbnuts, numbnuts. Another another. That's not, not referring to Robin. I'm referring to his product. We're talking about his product, <laughs> but but again, he's he's a he's a Scottish guy. So obviously, here we go. He's not <laughs> too bad. This, this is the important good. point you're making. How, uh, how uh, all Scottish? Uh, no, it's a good, good, good entrepreneurs. Good but but it was a simple product. It's basically a pair of scissors with a syringe in it. Like it's, like let's be honest, that's what it is. It's a rubber band with a syringe in it. It's not. Sorry, Robin, but it's not like it's it's not like a it's not like Bluetooth enabled 
a sort of satellite imagery, artificial yeah. intelligence, Bitcoin. Which, if he said that, <laughs> if, you know, if if he, if he said that was the case, he'd probably get more money for it. Yeah, but, but, but what it does is it solves a problem. Yeah, and, and it solves a problem fairly quickly. And then you've got guys like uh, we we we've had uh, Nathan Carroll, uh, Angus Street, and and Dwayne Johnson, oh, yeah. who all have their own similar similar but different w- approaches towards selling things online. Yep. Effectively, they're not really ag techs either. They're just, you know, service businesses. Service basically. businesses that, that that have online. You know, we, we we most of our business is online. We're not an ag tech. Mm. Uh, we could be though. Oh, sorry, sorry, so the podcast is an ag tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, offers over one point five million. Yeah, so your your train of thought was about free the free stuff. Oh, that's right. That was right. You were saying about how we we, we used to have a model that was behind the paywall and the old old gig. Yeah. Now we now we don't have a paywall. We offer it all for free. That's what yeah. you're talking about. Just before you lost track. Yeah, it was something else. It doesn't matter. But but what I'm saying is, it does change over time, and it does become like the word ag tech now is the fashionable thing. Yeah. But I do to 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 apartment wonders. Does it if there's not enough coming through, does it start to lose some of its veneer? You know, well, it, it, well, it's a bit like anything, and it, it it probably will eventually. And I remember uh, the head of SST told me once, he, and SST was one of the biggest precision ag companies uh, in the world. He said, oh, "I won't be called precision agriculture anymore; it'll just be called agriculture." And and so things will become mainstream and be part of the everyday life. So, absolutely, um, you, you just have a look at how quickly things are changing from, you know, into this whole sustainability. Uh, thing now and, and carbon and all that it's like a it's like a shark tank mate there's just people going everywhere and there's things happening all over the place so and and if you're in regenerative agriculture now that you didn't mention regenerative agriculture mate there's another million Crying. well there's this missed opportunity well but basically you know every every morning when matt and i wake up you regenerate um, <laughs> we, 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 we've regenerated <laughs> and we're in agriculture <laughs> oh, 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 we've we've uh, is it every six months you replace every single cell in your body? So that's regeneration. <laughs> so, so, so we 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 regenerate every day, and we also whiskey is killing more. <laughs> yeah, I was, thinking, I was thinking in our case on a Friday um, night. I mean, there's more things being regenerated in our no, brain we, cells. We, we're actually we're actually we're we're level ahead of regenerative agriculture. <laughs> we, we, we're we're going for a degenerative agriculture, <laughs> and. Uh, we're actually, well, that's what we should call this podcast, the, de- <laughs> the, the degenerates of agriculture. <laughs> and and that, that's that's the sort of, look, and that's the thing, that's what, like, I, call me a cynic, which I am, and, and proudly so. You're, um, a, cynic, you're a cynic, Andrew. <laughs> uh, but, but I do, I do sort of, I do glaze over, and I think I've been to too many presentations. That's what it is, mate. Just, yeah. And, and, and you sort of see the same thing over and over again, but you also see a lot of buzzwords, like yeah. Ecos- yeah. ecosystem. Well, an ecosystem is a bunch of bloody... I learned about ecosystems in biology at school. It's a bunch of frogs and tadpoles. <laughs> you know, that's that's an ecosystem and a pond. Yeah. But like ag tech ecosystem and all this kind of stuff, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like to see something that works well, solves a problem, and isn't going to break the bank balance. Yeah, you know, so from, from a farmer's point of view. I look at this as like a parallel world going on. There's the practical agricultural world that's dealing with these really shitty basic problems. Like I just got an, a terrible tweet yesterday about a hailstorm that's completely wiped out a five-ton crop. You know, there's these horrid realities of agriculture in Australia. Uh, you know, crops get flooded and, 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 and bad stuff happens, like the tractor falls in half. And then we've got this parallel world of ag tech going on, which is all this hype and streamline and buzzwords and money and and they're almost operating completely independently of each other. And it's like an industry on its own. And that's, I, I do take your point. And it's, it is frustrating for a lot of us that have been through the hard yards and have been out on farm when, you know, bad stuff happens all the time. And the practical parts of the world every day get in the way of all the shiny stuff of artificial intelligence about everything else. So I get your point. And, and, and there's a lot of us that have businesses that are, you know, get frustrated, but there's, there's no point getting frustrated. You've sort of got to work in a bit of both camps, I guess. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to be practical and deliver good solutions, but you've got to get the investment to do that. So sometimes you've got to trip in and use some buzzwords to help get the right products for farmers. So I think we, we try and have a bit of a win in both camps, mate. Yeah, no, I think 
like I, I, my my only other concern is, is one that I, I wrote about a few years ago is is whether whether farmers have got the time or the capacity. Like a lot of the technology is, it has to be user friendly enough to actually use on a day to day basis. And 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 that a lot of these technologies, like like the satellites as well, yeah. to understand what to do with that is probably going to require you to use an external person. You're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to take that map to someone like an agronomist or yeah. your, yeah. your machinery dealer to say I've got a clogged nozzle or whatever yeah. it is, you know. Yeah. And I think that's where why the the ag tech is is one thing. Creating inventions, you know, fantastic. You know, people tinkering away in a garage making something. Yeah. But you actually also need a, a secondary industry almost of the people who actually say, well, I'm like there's your agronomist over there, but over to the side is actually your technology advisor yeah yeah you're, you're sort of your cio type sort of thing to, to assist you in actually the rollout of these type of things so and as as farms get bigger like we say the corporatization of agriculture keeps occurring like we had a phone call with a company from new zealand the other day they've employed their own mapping people now um as part of the business because they're big enough to do that so i think what you're saying is spot on it'll be you have specialists in those businesses to actually do these tasks but i'll go to your point about saving time it if 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 your technology is not either saving your time, money, or uh, making your life easier, what the hell's the point of it? You know, it's got to be solving one of those three things. Go back to right back at the start, and we're probably getting close to time. But I, if it started my conversation was people driving straight lines with GPS auto steer in their tractors, right? The biggest can, thing. Can, people, can, can you just use a rope? Yeah, well, uh, the old t- ones t- are done t- with t- wire t- in the ground, mate. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, like the most people did that, not necessarily. To, to make save any money or do it was to drive straight lines and put a backpacker on the on the tractor and, and know that the, the, the paddock's getting planted in, in a good in, a, in an efficient way. So and it wasn't about uh, making a heap more money. There was other drivers. It was make my life easier or do more with less. So when I look at what drives technology adoption, it, it, it a lot of the times it doesn't come down to money necessarily. It comes down to making your life easier. And no one's implemented, like when when uh, Apple des- developed an iPad, they didn't do it to save, make people money. It, not, not one iPad's made anyone any money, but oh, I could look at the look at the weather in the news and the, check my email. And so it, it's got to make your life easier and, and quicker. And we often got challenged that, you know, looking at satellite data all day, I haven't got time to do that. Well, it should help you go and find locations in the field to search, to, to go and do your scouting quicker more effectively, you're making sure you're getting to all parts of the field. So we, we had to get through that to, to show people, and going back to your point about doing stuff for free, the reason we put our stuff out for free is because you have to show people what the potential is. They've got to try before they buy. If they don't know what the value is, there's no point investing. So that's why we've done that. And, and you know, now we've got like 25,000 farms using the platform. Well, it, that, that they're now experiencing what the technology can do for them. They're starting the journey of of improvement. And, and if we if we charge from the start, we would have got bugger all people signing up. So, <laughs> got to be a bit of that. And agriculture, uh, yeah, is a tight market anyway. So you know you, you've got to lead people on a journey. And that's to to us that was a logical starting point of the journey. I think what you what you're saying there, Tim, as well, is is kind of like you know, ag, ag tech, but with a, with a very practical lens through it that you're using, right? And that's part, part, part of the reason why you got a success there. And it, it kind of reminded me, I'm not sure if this is an urban myth or, or some kind of a you know, factual story, but at the time of that space race and they were going to the moon and I think NASA or the Americans poured millions and millions of dollars at the time, apparently, in designing a, a biro that could write in zero gravity, you know, so right. uh, recording all their recording all their stuff up in space, they could use this biro in zero gravity and it was millions or billions of dollars of potentially, you know, they invested to create this whiz-bang anti-gravity biro and the, <laughs> Russia, and the Russians just used a pencil. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and that's kind of, you know, what you, you don't, don't, don't create the ag tech just for the sake of it and yeah. pour all this money in. Actually look at practically understand the industry mm. that is agriculture Get in there and get your boots dirty and look at the problems and then figure out what's required and do it in a way that's that's practical and doesn't cost a fortune. It all, it all depends, Matt, as well. Like the technology for technology's sake, I, I agree from, from a commercial point of view, but sometimes people like things for the sake. I know that Tim is a fellow motorcycle fan. Absolutely, yeah. You don't need 
a Ducati Panigale, but I like one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know and, and 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 if my miss, and if my missus is listening, you know, well, once we get a one point five million, I'll get one. Yeah. So, but no, that's that, I reckon that's a good. You, 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 one of the things you highlighted there was we're running out of time, mm. and, and so Tim. Like it's a very good conversation with you. Like I've known you for a long time, and and we've we've spoke over beers and coffees about ag tech and uh, our our frustrations, I guess. And mm. uh, we know that you're a, a, always been a very uh, straight and narrow to the point person, and you've shown that on this podcast. And uh, a lot a lot of good insights into into the ag tech ecosystem, mm. and, uh, and 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 the use of satellite imagery. So, so thanks for thanks for coming along. Yeah, no, well, thanks for having us. I really appreciate the invite and uh, yeah, sharing a laugh. It's been really good. Thank you. It was, it was excellent. It was, uh, first time I've met you, actually. I think Tim. So it was mm. a very illuminating discussion. Um, much appreciate our listeners. If you uh, enjoyed it, I'm glad. And uh, see you when you've got nothing on. Ciao for now.